Yes, well, we knew it was only just a matter of time, just a matter of not a very long period of time, before the accusing finger of blame would begin to be pointed at various people to try and hold them responsible for the lack of performance, if you wish to call it that, of the Republican ticket in the 2022 midterms. Everyone was expecting the Republicans to do better and the Democrats to do more poorly than they did because they were looking at national polls. But remember, all politics is local. So even though Republicans are still polling almost six points ahead of Democrats nationwide, every race comes down to the individual candidates, and ultimately, it's their responsibility. And uh, of course, there's no accounting for an uninformed and stupid electorate. And I don't know what else you could say to describe the electorate in Pennsylvania this time around, because to vote for that sputtering buffoon idiot Fetterman over Dr. Oz, over almost, I would have voted for Mickey Mouse over Fetterman. This guy is unfit to serve. He can't put together a coherent thought. And yet he's the one that's going to be the standard bearer for the state of Pennsylvania. Go figure. Hi, everyone. I'm Jamie Dury, and welcome to another episode of the Jamie Dury Show podcast. If you have not already done so, please subscribe to the show. You can do so in one of three easy ways. You can go to the iTunes App Store, the Google Play Store, and either download uh, the free Podbean app, look us up and subscribe that way, or just go to the uh, App Store of your choice, Google or iTunes, depending on your device, and just simply search out the Jamie Dury Show, and listen to it in your native podcast aggregator app. Uh, Any way you choose, you'll be able to leave reviews, comments. We need plenty of both. The more we get of a positive nature, the faster the show will grow. And you can always email me directly at jamiedury1776 at gmail.com if you have a question or a topic you'd like me to cover. So, the shock or the surprises in the races, the big surprises, was one. I think most people thought that Fetterman uh, should not be able to defeat Dr. Oz. Now, it was not a overwhelming victory for him. In fact, I still question it. But um, it was, nevertheless, uh, a disappointment. And I don't want to blame Dr. Oz. A lot of people are saying they should have had a professional politician, so forth. I think Dr. Oz made a very good showing, uh, and uh, I really am quite surprised that he did not uh, prevail. But that aside, it appears to me that there's still monkey business going on in some of these elections. Now, I saw a Democrat the other day, his name escapes me, uh, he admitted that he lost his race. And he said, it's my privilege to come here and tell you that I've lost the race. And that when you lose a race, you can't simply say it was stolen. Now, I want to get to all of this today, stolen elections and accusations of stolen elections. I still find it incredible to me that people, I'm not saying you have to believe that everyone has to believe that the 2020 presidential election was stolen, but you should be at least able to mention it and try and offer up your analysis or your proof. They don't even want you to even be allowed to mention the fact that the election was stolen. And they want you further to believe 
that when you do talk about stolen elections, that this is a relatively new phenomenon and that it's a Republican phenomenon. What short uh, memories these people have. It was the Democrats who spoke about stolen uh, elections in 2000 when George W. Bush took the state of Florida and they were talking about hanging chads, even though with a liberal media and three private newspapers doing their own recounts after the election, uh, only to discover that their recounts led to a greater margin of victory for Bush in Florida than the official uh, recount did. That didn't matter. Then when Stacey Abrams got her clock cleaned in Georgia a few years back, they were claiming and she was walking around like the de facto governor of Georgia and that the election was stolen from her. This time, of course, she got quite the shellacking. So there was nothing about um, a close race. So she couldn't say that um, the election uh, was stolen from her this time. Georgia, though, let's look at that race for a second. Georgia is somewhat of a contradiction. Here, Governor Kemp wins handily. And yet Herschel Walker is in a battle for his life to beat this absolute lunatic, Reverend Warnock. How do the same group of people elect a Republican governor like Kemp and then keep this radical Warnock in the running? It makes no sense to me. The only thing I can figure, first of all, any way you slice it, I think Warnock overperformed. But I have to believe there was a certain amount of help to Walker from having Kemp at the top of the ticket and him prevailing, but also a certain detriment to Walker in the general election there because there was a libertarian candidate who took about 2% of the vote. And I would think that libertarian um, philosophers, people who subscribe to that thinking of less government, would more than likely be wedded to vote for a Republican rather than a Democrat liberal like Warnock. So the 2% that they glean, he gleaned had, you, uh, had to have come from Walker more than from Warnock. So you have to look at that. Now, in this runoff election, that man won't be running. So you're just going to have Walker and Warnock head to head. So it's possible that Walker should be able to edge out a victory. And it's interesting to see who they send to Georgia from both sides. Uh, to see who they think is well-received there. Will Biden come and campaign for Warnock? Probably. Will Kamala Harris come there? Probably. And I hope both of them come because they're both idiots. I would like to see the sharp contrast between Biden and Harris campaigning for Warnock as opposed to Trump and DeSantis campaigning for Walker. But the election of 2022 wasn't a total disaster. So let's take a few of these one by one, and then I want to speak to a bigger picture. The House is one seat away from flipping Republican. They're just one seat shy. And this is as of projections uh, of just a day ago. There are 13 uncalled races left. Now, if you're a gambling man, you've got to believe that out of the 13 races, the Republicans have to win one. And that gives them the 218 that they need for a majority. Right now they have 217. Uh, Brandon Williams won his race for New York's 22nd Congressional District. He's a Republican. 
Republican reps Michelle Steele in California, Kevin Calvert in Cal- uh, California won re-election. Um, there was an Arizona congressional race that went Republican. Now, a lot of these races uh, were predictable. Um, a lot of them came as a surprise. But this is where we stand right now. As I said, the GOP has gotten 217 seats. The Democrats have 204. So the Democrats would have to run the table and win all of the remaining 13 just to match what the GOP currently has. I don't see that happening. Now, as of Monday night, only 14 House seats remain a call. Now it's down to 13 House seats. California, which is a liberal state, but again, it's liberal overall, but there are... uh, conservative pockets. It still remains the country's most populous state. There are 10 races in California alone left to call. There's a few other races in Colorado and Maine. So I'm very hopeful, and I think most people realize that um, the Republicans are going to take the House. Now, in Colorado, which has gone blue in recent elections, you have Lauren Boebert, Republican from Colorado. She's currently in the lead uh, by about 900 votes in the 13th Congressional District. The race is still uncalled with 99% of the vote in. I'm hopeful that she will, will hang on there. So I think we're in pretty good shape as far as the House goes. I would like to have seen a bigger majority, but even if we get a slim majority, at least it means that the Democratic agenda has been stymied, and Joe Biden will not be able to have carte blanche. He will not be able to advance a lot of these uh, uber-leftist ideas that the squad would like him to advance, and so that's a good thing. Uh, They can also start investigations of him and his crackhead son, Hunter, which will muddy the waters and uh, also bring things to light for the 2024 election and erode him, because Sleepy Joe... Uh, dementia-ridden, incompetent fool that he is, still believes that he's in charge and still thinks he's going to announce for the presidency. And you really can't seem to stop him because he's really a schmuck. Now, what are you going to do when he gets up there at a, at a public meeting or a, a public event and forgets what he's been told by his handlers and says, yeah, I'm running for re-election in 2024? Once he does that, what's going to happen to the Democratic Party? Are they going to primary their president, the man they want you to believe is doing a great job? Are they going to challenge him in a primary? He'll be so damaged. They'll be so damaged. They're just making it easier for the Republicans. So if he announces, I think they're kind of stuck with him. So look for them maybe to get Joe out for some reason prior to the election that he can't run. Uh, Otherwise, they're going to be in deep doo-doo come 2024. But who's going to be in 2024? What would the possible tickets be? But before we get to that, let's look at another race, which could very well affect that Republican ticket in 2024. The Arizona gubernatorial race. Again, you have to ask yourself, who the hell is living and voting in Arizona? But more importantly, who is counting the votes in Arizona? Yes, there is a saying that... um, It doesn't matter who votes. It matters who counts the votes. How the hell does Katie Hobbs, the Democrat gubernatorial candidate, who's declared victory even though there's going to be a recount, um, 
who's the current Secretary of State for the state of Arizona, how does she not recuse herself from counting these votes when she has a vested interest? Here's a girl that looked like a, a high school kid in terms of her mentality. Wouldn't debate Kerry Lake. That's the new thing now. Oh, Kerry Lake, she's, a, she's an election denier. I'm not going to debate, um, debate her. You just want to say that I'd, I'd be above the fray. I'm not going to. She could never debate Carrie Lake. Carrie Lake would destroy her. This girl can't put together a coherent thought, and Carrie Lake would decimate her. So let's look at that lake, uh, that race, rather. Um, she has a lead. She had been up by 26,000 votes on Sunday. As a result of, and all the votes are not counted yet, as a result of absentee votes or mail-in votes that were dropped off, we talked about this the other day, there were Republicans that were so doubtful that their votes would get there in time or that they would get there at all because they suspected fraud in the 2020 election, that they decided, although they didn't vote in person, they decided to go in person to drop off their mail-in ballots, and those were not counted. By Monday, that 26,000-vote lead for uh, Hobbs was narrowed to 19,382. Now, she declared victory, and a number of media outlets are calling the race, because you see, that's what they do. They want to call the race, so you're not allowed to say anything after that. Once we've said it, that's it. That's what the media thinks. Uh, And she's out there claiming that she's going to win. But Carrie Lake is not conceding. She made a statement that said, Arizonans know BS when they see it. Now, the current margin is Hobbs having 50.4% of the vote. Lake has 49.6%. Percent of the vote. Now, under a recent change this past May to Arizona law, if the margin is less than or equal to 0.5%, a recount is triggered. It used to be 0.1%. Now it's 0.5%. Currently, 0.8% is what separates them. However, 28,000 midterm ballots still need to be counted in Arizona. That's an unofficial tally from the office of Hobbs. That's great that the woman who's running for office is going to count the ballots, or her, under her aegis, the ballots will be counted. And she refuses to recuse herself from overseeing the election. Now, Lake has slowly been gaining ground from the last several dumps of election, and there's multiple counties that are out. Right now, on Saturday, she gained over 3,600 votes on Hobbs. On Sunday, she saw a gain of 9,000 votes on Hobbs. On Monday, she gained 6,629 more votes on Hobbs. And of the remaining ballots, about 16,000 are in Maricopa County, which is the largest county in the state of Arizona. Uh, 8,200 are in Pinal County, about 7,400 in Pima County, 67 in Apache County, uh, 4,300 in Cochise, 2,300 and change in Navajo, 1,500 in uh, Cochino County, 750 in another, 670 in Yuma, and a few small numbers in uh, Gila, Gila County. So you may be surprised this election may actually be reversed, not that it It's been officially called, but in terms of what the media is doing, they may have to eat crow. And Carrie Lake uh, would be the Republican governor. 
I would very much like to see Carrie Lake be the Republican governor because there was chicanery in the Arizona uh, election in 2020, and I don't want to see that repeated in 2024. And for those of you who say, no, you're a conspiracy theorist, let me just tell you something. I've said this before. I'm going to repeat it very quickly here. A Freedom of Information Act request was made to the state of Arizona by a watchdog group that was investigating election fraud. And this just has to do with Maricopa County alone, the largest county in the state of Arizona. Now, the state of Arizona made it very clear to people in public announcements that any ballots which arrived in the election offices after 7 p.m. on election day would not be counted. This was in 2020. So that you should mail your ballots in by no later than the 25th of October if you expected them to arrive in time to be counted. So they requested freedom of information regarding how many ballots came in in the days leading up to the election. Like, you know, like 18,000 or 15,000 came in on the 25th of October, and then 12,000 on the 26th, and lower and lower and lower until about maybe 1,000 came in on election day, people just thinking, ah, for the hell of it, I'll throw it in the box. And then they had an idea, and all this information was readily granted. Then they had an idea. Gee, I wonder how many votes came in the day after election day and the day after that. And that the reason why they thought about that was because of all the counting mysteriously and simultaneously being ceased in six states at the same time. They didn't get an answer right away when they asked that question. They had to go all the way up the chain to the top, I think almost to the attorney general, to get an answer. They finally got one. You know how many votes came in on the day after Election Day? With only 1,000 votes having come in on Election Day in the mail, the day after Election Day, when everybody knew how many votes that Biden was going to need to win, miraculously, 18,500 ballots show up the day after Election Day. And the day after that, another 2,000 show up. So 20,500 ballots show up after Election Day, and only 934 of them were disqualified for reasons having nothing to do with the fact that they were time-barred and should not have been counted at all. So 19,500 votes that never should have been counted were counted in a state where the margin of victory was only 10,500 votes. And you tell me that we're not allowed to mention or even discuss that our opinion is that there was fraud in the election? So I would very much like to see Carrie Lake win the state of Arizona to make sure that kind of fraud doesn't take place again. Because as the governor, she could probably initiate a lot of investigation and prosecute people uh, if there was that sort of chicanery going on. If it should turn out that she doesn't win, there may be a silver lining to that cloud as well, because it's a foregone conclusion that former President Donald Trump is going to announce, and more on that in due course. And I think that Kerry Lake would make a phenomenal running mate. And the fact that she's from Arizona might very well allow him to carry that state with her on the ticket. I think it would be a mistake for her to run as the vice president if she does win as governor of Arizona, because I think it would turn people off in Arizona, uh, having given her their support if she were to suddenly leave the state after two years and then run. Uh, you know, it could cut either way. 
But certainly, if she doesn't win, I think she makes a fabulous running mate for Donald Trump. I think she'd make a, a fabulous running mate for Ron DeSantis if for some reason Trump decides not to run or for reasons unknown at this time, DeSantis winds up getting the nomination. She's a, a power. She's a former TV anchor. She's very good on camera. She's very sharp. She answers questions. She doesn't duck questions. Uh, there's a lot to look out for here. Now, lastly, the thing that I spoke about the other day, and I'm going to reiterate again today, is there's a big picture, and I think only Victor David Hansen spoke about this, and I always like his analysis, but I had mentioned it on my show before one of my friends who also listens to this podcast informed me that Victor David Hansen had said the same thing. So we both arrived at the same conclusion uh, without hearing each other. Not that, not that Victor David Hansen listens to my show, but I certainly listened to him. And that is what was abundantly clear to me was that the red states got redder, the purple states got red, and the blue states got bluer. But the big, big factor here is that the red and purple states that got redder did so as a consequence of population migrations to those states from blue states, which means that the people who were leaving the blue states were red voters, Republicans, conservatives. And the blue states therefore got bluer, not because they gained votes, but because they lost red votes, which diluted the red vote in the states, therefore making them bluer. But when your population goes down, you lose congressional representation. And the states that get that population gain congressional representation. When I was a kid, New York used to have 38 electoral votes. New York now has 28 electoral votes. Florida, when Bush ran for election, I believe only had 25 electoral votes. Then next thing you know, after a census, it had 27 and then it had 29. Now Florida has 30 votes. And in the next census, 2030, it's going to have even more, and New York and other places are going to have even less. Massachusetts now has 11. Texas now has 40. Because people, even prior to the pandemic, had begun to gravitate to Texas and Florida because those are two states that had very good economies, under Donald Trump, and no state income tax. People got tired of being soaked for taxes in those states, in the Northeast. And then after the pandemic, even more people fled because of these draconian lockdowns. So Florida and Texas combined count for 30 electoral votes. And if the performance in those states for the gubernatorial races and the Senate races are any bellwether for the future... It's a foregone conclusion. They're going to go red in 2024. So that cancels out that 54 electoral prize that the Democrats have always relied on in California. Because 70 is better than 54. Ohio used to have 20. It lost population. But despite losing population, it's redder than it ever was. So it was, that's also now a red state, uh, solidly red. So that's going to go for, the, for the, uh, the Republicans. So what you're going to see is over time, these red states are going to have greater congressional representation by virtue of more population influx, 
which means the electoral votes will go up, which means that the red states in this union, and they are the majority of the states, are going to have a greater and greater representation in Congress and a greater and greater voice in the affairs of state. And the redder they are, and the more electoral votes they have, the more electable Republicans and conservatives will become. So there's a great deal to be hopeful for. But I started the broadcast by saying that the blame game has started, that everybody now is pointing the accusing finger of blame at Donald Trump. And there are people that are trying to say that Donald Trump is a bitter man, that he's become paranoid, uh, that he's unfit, and that we should look to somebody else. Then you have the rhinos like the Peter Kings saying, you know, we don't need this, uh, DeSantis. Look, here's the reality. Maybe Trump is bitter. Maybe Trump is seeking revenge. Can you really blame him? He won the 2016 election simply because he outworked everyone else. He mowed down 16 some odd seasoned Republican politicians and was the last man standing. He out campaigned with an almost indefatigable level of energy, Hillary Clinton and anybody else they threw up there to campaign against him. He worked it and he won it. He earned it. And from day one, they never allowed him credit for it. Talk about election denying. They never said it was legitimate. It was the Russians that did it. They were the ones that were talking about election corruption back then. And they made a promise to themselves that they would do whatever they had to do to steal that election. That's why they told you, and I said it on this podcast, they told you what they were going to do months before the election when you had people saying, it's going to look like it's a landslide, but by the time we count everything that's getting mailed in, you're going to see that's going to be a Democratic victory. Because they knew they were going to stuff the ballot boxes. I'm against all of these paper ballots. Forget the chads. I'm against any of these ballots that you slide into a computer. Because they can easily be forged. Look at all the ballots that were that's not disputed that were um, tabulated last election for Joe Biden with the only race selected, the presidential race. Whoever heard of thousands of ballots coming in and only the president selected because they were printed that way. It was easier to print up emergency ballots by just checking off one race. If you knew you people are waiting for a count and you stop the counting in six states and you have to produce ballots in a sufficient number to ensure a margin of victory. You don't have time to fill out everything. They just printed out one thing, boom, and they filed them all in. Now, in my home state of New York, before they went to all this electronic nonsense, we used to have a simple system, very difficult to to, uh, corrupt. Machines had a ticker number. When you checked them, they were all supposed to be at zero when you started. And you had levers. And when you went in, you closed a big lever on the bottom, and that would close the curtain in the voting booth. That's when we had booths. And there were little levers there, and you pushed the lever down for each candidate you wanted. And then when you finished your selections, you took that big lever and threw it the other direction, which opened the curtain, and then simultaneously released all of the levers that you had depressed and now counted the votes. So in order to 
fraudulently steal an election with machines of that type, you'd have to physically go in there and do those voting you know, all the time. Boom, boom, click them all, flick it, click them all. Can't do that without people seeing it. Just can't do it. Becomes very, very difficult. The other thing that makes it easy to steal elections now that we didn't have years ago is this early voting bullshit. And that's exactly what it is. One of the reasons why you have a vote on one day is because it helps to ensure integrity. I'm not saying that people can't vote multiple times if you have election on only one day, but it's a lot more difficult to vote multiple times if everything has to be done on the same day than it is if you give people two weeks to vote. It's ridiculous. All this early voting shit should be stopped. And all this mail-in voting nonsense should be stopped. You want an absentee ballot? Fine. We've always allowed absentee ballots in this country, but it has to be requested by a legitimate voter. We don't simply send out mail-in ballot um, applications to people on a voter roll when we know this voter roll is inaccurate. You request it, you got it. But it was always a minority of the votes. Servicemen overseas, people who were out of country on business, etc. The old, the infirmed, who couldn't get around. It was always a small amount of votes. It wasn't these massive numbers like we're seeing now because people capitalized on this COVID bullshit to manipulate elections. Look, I think Donald Trump probably is bitter. He probably is a little vengeful. That does not disqualify him in my book in any way. Because you see, the people who say, oh, Trump is divisive, Trump is this, Trump is that, let's go for DeSantis. Look, DeSantis is an excellent governor. I'm a big fan. He's done a fabulous job in the state of Florida. But sending DeSantis out to win the presidency, which he probably could do against Biden, to me, is losing the forest through the trees. The presidential election is a battle. I'm not interested in winning battles. Yes, I'd like to win them. That's not my primary focus. I'm interested in winning the war. We are at war in this country, whether you want to believe it or not. Your freedoms are being eroded. Your freedoms are being taken away from you in little salami slices. If you keep falling asleep at the switch, you're going to wake up one day and find out that it's gone too far and you can't get it back. Now, DeSantis is a good man. But he doesn't have the star power and the passionate support that a guy like Trump has. And although he's capable of winning certain battles, I think only Trump is capable of winning the war, capable of picking the right judges and, putting, and getting them on the bench. Trump is a take-no-prisoners guy. And when I'm in a war, I want a take-no-prisoners guy. I don't want somebody who's a polished professional politician who knows how to say the right thing and is conservative and has the best of intentions. I want a man who's willing to risk everything. Donald Trump, whatever else you say about him, has proven himself to be that man. The man is worth billions of dollars. Whether you believe it or not, he's worth billions of dollars. He didn't need this. He didn't need to have his family exposed to this. 
He didn't need to be the subject of these investigations. He didn't need to subject himself to a, a petty media who can't accept the fact that he won and won legitimately and beat that old bag who's a thief, Hillary Clinton, and her sexual predator rapist husband, Bill Clinton. He didn't need it. He was in his 70s when he ran. He's in his late 70s now. He could be enjoying his life, enjoying his billions, playing golf at his beautiful courses in Mar-a-Lago and Bedminster, have his grandchildren on his knee, and enjoy life. He didn't need any of this. He did it because he was a man that had done very well in the United States and loved his country and didn't like what he saw happening to it, and he wanted to fix it. And only Trump is going to get in there and fight for things like term limits. Only Trump is going to go in and launch investigations of people who need to be investigated to get to the bottom of what happened in 2020 and to put a stop to a lot of this other nonsense and drain that damn swamp. Because one thing DeSantis will have against him if he's the nominee, what's a politician's greatest objective? Greatest objective is to get elected. Their second greatest objective is to get reelected. DeSantis will want to be reelected. And his desire to be reelected is going to temper his decisions in certain areas so that he can ensure his reelection. Trump has no such restriction. Trump is all about winning and getting the job done. And now that he's been there once and knows where the attacks are going to come from, he's going to hit the ground running when he gets in there. He'll have things in place before he's even sworn in. So far from abandoning Trump, and I know Candace Owens said he was rude to her and so forth and so on. Supposedly she blamed it on a remark that was taken out of context on her part. But I'm not walking away from Donald Trump. And I don't think the majority of Trump supporters are walking away from him either. This is a war, ladies and gentlemen. This is a war. This is a war for the very soul of this nation. This is a war to preserve our democracy, our capitalist society, our free society, where people can be whatever they want to be if they're willing to work hard enough and long enough and fight off this inexorable move towards socialism. And the only threat to democracy were not the people who protested on January 6th and were set up by FBI informants that were showing up at rally after rally, encouraging people to break in resulting in the death of that innocent woman, Ashley Babbitt, who everybody seems to forget, but they keep remembering George Floyd and erecting statues to him, but they forget about Ashley Babbitt, murdered by that piece of crap lieutenant from the Capitol Police. Those people were no threat to democracy. Why? Because they sat in Nancy Pelosi's chair. The only threat to democracy are these 535 career politicians who are sitting in Congress. People like Charles Schumer is going to be there 40 years. Piece of crap that he was. He was garbage as a congressman. He's garbage as a senator. Those are the threats to democracy. The people who think that they're kings and ministers and vassals and knights in days of yore, that the people exist to provide them with position instead of they existing to provide the people with freedom. This is war. You better decide what side you're on, and you better decide what horse you're betting on. For my money, that horse is still Donald J. Trump. For The Jamie Dury Show, I'm Jamie Dury. 